Welcome to the Money Love Podcast. I'm your host and money coach, Paige Pritchard. If you're ready to uplevel your results in relationship with money, you're in the right place. Each week, I give you the tools to transform your mindset, manage your emotions, and achieve results with your money you never dreamed were possible. Hello. Welcome to episode 69 of the Money Love Podcast. I hope your week is off to a good start. I have a great episode planned for you guys today, but a couple housekeeping items before we dive in. The first thing that I want to do, which is going to be a little different, never done this before, but like I told you guys, I am doing a giveaway all year long where I am giving away a free annual subscription to my favorite money tool, YNAB, once a month. So in 2022, there's going to be 12 of you who win a completely free year of YNAB from yours truly. And I told you guys that the last episode of every single month, I'm going to pick a winner for that month. So today, I am going to pick the winner for January. And when I pick the winner, I'm going to tell you who the winner is, and then I'm going to leave the review that they left on the podcast. So that is how you enter. In case you missed it and you're like, wait, I want a free year of YNAB. How do I enter? All you have to do is go leave a review of the podcast on iTunes. Now, a couple things that are important. If you're going to do this and you're going to leave a review, two things that you got to make sure you do. One is when you're putting in your review, it's going to ask you to give your review a name. And I ask that you make your name your Instagram handle so that if you win, I can find you. And then the second important thing is that you actually have to write something. All right. If you just go to the podcast and you hit the little five stars, that's great and it does help, but you're not going to pop up in the reviews that I can actually see and enter you in. So that is why I'm saying I'm not just telling you you have to write something because I just want you to write nice things about the podcast, although I do. And that's so nice and I love reading them, but you have to write something so that I can see that you did it and you're entered. I do want to answer one more thing. Some of you guys were asking, which this is a great question. Some of you were asking, I already subscribe to YNAB. I already use YNAB. I already pay for it. So am I still able to enter? And the answer is yes. Even if you still subscribe to YNAB and you're already paying for it, still enter. Because if you enter and you win, I will simply reimburse you for your cost for YNAB for an entire year. So whether you don't use it or you do use it, still enter. You'll get your free year either way. So the winner this month comes from a review, Linz0804. So I'm going to guess your name is Lindsay. I'm just going to make that assumption. She says, I wish I had found Paige years ago. I graduated five years ago with six-figure student loan debt, and Paige's perspective is the most helpful tool I've found to help me flip my money script. I'm still working to be debt-free, but like Paige, My journey has had several other milestones, multiple moves, job changes, etc. I appreciate her so much for bucking the narrative that not paying off debt as fast as humanly possible is worth shaving myself over. I relate to a lot of what she shares and learn so much with each new podcast. So grateful for this resource. So Lindsay, thank you for your kind review. It means so much to me. Best of luck on your debt-free journey. If this is you, feel free to just go ahead and shoot me a DM on Instagram, and I will also start looking for you so we can get you your free year of YNAB. The last thing I want you guys to know is that we are officially a month away, February 1st to March 1st, of the launch of Overcoming Overspending. It's my new signature program that will be the way that you and I will work together moving forward 
It's going to be a program that you get access to. There's going to be a community aspect. There's going to be weekly coaching. And I've also had some of you guys ask, well, what if I still want to do one-on-one coaching? Or what if I want one-on-one coaching with you because I want something that's a little more intimate and personalized? You will still be able to purchase one-on-one coaching sessions with me within the Overcoming Overspending container. So you will get the live group coaching calls, but you can also purchase one-on-one calls with me if that is something that you want to do once you join Overcoming Overspending. All right. So Make sure to join the waitlist for that. The waitlist is in the show notes. That way, you're simply just the first to know when it's out. You get the best deal possible. You can be a founding member because I'm going to offer it for a drastically reduced rate for a period of time for founding members. And then once that rate is gone, it is gone for good forever. Okay, housekeeping items out of the way. Today, what we're going to talk about is how you're being lied to, how I'm being lied to how we're all being lied to by consumer culture. In putting all of the content and the curriculum together for overcoming overspending, I've actually been doing a ton of reading and a lot of research on the causes of why we overspend, why impulse spending and why shopping addictions are so prevalent, and frankly, why they are getting worse by the day. Millions and millions of people have issues with overspending and impulse buying And one point that I keep coming up against in almost every article, every book, every piece of research, it states that you do have to take into account the culture that we live in, especially in the United States, which is dominated by what is called consumer culture. Everything that I've run into and everything that I've been reading says that the place you have to start when looking at why people overshop and overspend is recognizing the messaging and the programming that we have all grown up with and how that messaging and programming has shaped our shopping patterns. And y'all, let me just say, the more I learn about consumer culture, the more I completely understand why so many of us have a distorted relationship with money, why we have an unhealthy relationship with stuff and with the acquisition of stuff, and why millions of people feel like they are so unhappy and why they're also drowning financially because so many of us are living under the belief that our happiness is simply a purchase away. Now, quickly, before we jump into the lies of consumer culture, let's talk about what consumer culture is so we're all on the same page there. To put it technically, okay, this is what Google will tell you. Google says that consumer culture is a theory in marketing that looks at and considers the relationship that consumers have with products or services. But it is a system, a construct that is dominated by the consumption of things, consumption of products. That's why it's called consumer culture, because we are consuming things. Now, consumer culture is present in every TV commercial you see, every Instagram ad you're served, Every billboard that you drive by, it is the underlying message and programming that we have all absorbed our entire lives that has prodded us. And in a sense, it has programmed us to purchase. We are bombarded with and immersed with messages that are very sophisticated, might I add, that associate products that we don't really need with emotional states that as human beings, we deeply desire. 
consumer culture is trying to sell us something that ultimately is unattainable. And it's trying to convince us of these underlying principles that are fundamentally untrue. What advertising is, is advertising is a promise of a feeling. Advertising is promise of a feeling. And then what they do is they just take a product and they hook the product or the service onto that promise of a feeling. Most advertising has one main objective, which is to create in each of us a desire to buy what we don't really need. So it's no wonder that so many of us are so confused when we're trying to buy our happiness, driving ourselves into debt, and then realizing, crap, I'm still unhappy, I'm still unfulfilled, now I have all this crap and clutter and I'm in debt, and none of this really worked. So I thought it would be interesting to do an episode on consumer culture and the fundamental lies that consumer culture tries to sell us. And my hope is with this episode, you will gain awareness to know what is behind the messages that you are being served so that ultimately you can question the advertising, the messaging, the principles that consumer culture is trying to get you to adopt about material acquisition and what they're trying to tell you about the stuff that you own and how worthy you are so that you can take all of this and ultimately you can kind of call BS on the system. I want you to have this awareness so that you're armed with the tools and the knowledge to spend your money in a way that is intentional and purposeful in a way that aligns with what you want for your life instead of spending money on how consumer culture is trying to program you to spend it. There's a big difference between those two things. So we're going to go through three primary lies that consumer culture really pushes on us that I feel like you need to know. And we're going to talk about each and why they're each untrue. So let's jump in. The first lie that consumer culture is selling you is that the products or the services that you are being advertised are going to fill some sort of emotional need or some sort of emotional void in your life. Like I just said, advertising really isn't about the product or the service that's being advertised. That's not really what they're trying to sell you. What's being sold to you is, oh, this product is going to make you skinnier. And then your mind goes to, oh, and when I'm skinnier, I'll feel more worthy and accepted. You're not being sold an exotic vacation. It's not the white sands of the beach or the crystal clear blue water that ultimately sells you. Yes, of course, it doesn't hurt. But when you're buying a vacation, you're not buying the beach or the water. What you're buying is freedom. What you're buying is relaxation and escape from the stress. What you're buying is having a sense of control and autonomy over your own life by getting to do something that you really want to do. That's what you're buying. There's also a lot of fear-based marketing and messages that we receive. I will tell you this. The internet has figured out that I'm pregnant, right? When you start like searching for things, they're like, oh, this woman is definitely pregnant. So now every time I'm online, I get all these ads for all this baby stuff, but I've noticed a lot of the baby things that we now buy are based in fear. It's like you need this monitor to go around your baby while they're sleeping to make sure that they don't die in their sleep or that their oxygen levels don't go down or that their heart stays strong. I get ads twice a day for this like choking device, right? Where 
if your kid is choking, you can just put it on their mouth and it like, I don't know, it sucks the food out or whatever. But I was thinking that's a perfect example. They're not selling me the device. What they're selling me is the peace of mind of not having to be worried that if my kid starts choking on a piece of food, they won't die because I'll have this gadget to save them. So there's a ton of fear-based marketing when it comes to the baby space, right? It's like, this product could save your life. It could save your child's life. And they're not selling you the gadget. What they're selling you is the safety, the security, the peace of mind that ultimately you think the item is going to give you. But the point I'm trying to make is that we're not sold products. We are being sold the promise, the guarantee of a future emotional state. That is why we buy things. So many of us shop with the intention of filling emotional needs with material goods. I'm going to say that one more time. We shop with the intention of filling emotional needs with material goods. And y'all, I will say this until I'm blue in the face. Y'all are like, Paige, shut up. We know. We got it. But everything we do or everything we don't do is in reaction to a feeling or it's in the pursuit of another feeling, the pursuit of a future emotional state. And that includes how we spend our money. Now, you guys are my people, my podcast people. I know y'all are smart and savvy and many of you know the model, you're certified coaches or you're learning the model because we talk about it in almost every episode. But again, why is this a lie? Why is this untrue? Do things cause feelings? Do other people cause feelings? Do experiences cause feelings? No, none of those things cause feelings. What causes feelings then? Our thoughts and our belief patterns. You cannot have an emotional response to something without having a thought about it first. It just can't happen. Even if the thought is very subconscious and automatic and you don't even notice that it's there because it's so programmed and runs so automatically, it's still there. It's still a thought causing an emotional response within you. So when we get the new cute top, that purchase might lift our mood or might make us happy temporarily. But it's actually not the top that causes you to feel happy. It's our thoughts that we are thinking about the top or the thoughts that we're thinking about how we are going to look in the top that is causing us to have elevated moods. Again, only temporarily for a short period of time. Because the problem is, is that most people don't know that it's our thoughts that cause our feelings. They really believe that it's the top or the vacation or the gadget that is going to fill that emotional void that they're feeling. And so they have elevated thinking once they acquire the product for a short period of time, but then time goes on and old programmed default thinking comes roaring back. And then we're left feeling unhappy and discontent again onto the next shopping spree or onto buying the next item that we think is going to fill the emotional void that the previous purchase didn't and couldn't fill. I want to make it clear on this one that it's okay to go shopping and it's okay to spend money and it is okay to buy things. I want you to. Again, it's part of having a healthy, balanced relationship with money. Just don't do it under the untrue and the false assumption that the purchase or the experience is going to fill some sort of emotional need or void for you. It's not going to. And the longer that you hold on to and believe this lie, the more and more stuff and clutter you're going to acquire. 
And that clutter builds up and it becomes a very heavy burden in your life. Study after study has shown that the more that you believe that happiness comes from material wealth, the more likely you are to be depressed, to be distressed, and to be anxious. Overall, the less well-being you're likely to experience when you attach happiness and material wealth. Now, this truth is a really hard truth to accept, but it's also a liberating one. At least to me, it is. It's hard in the sense because, yes, of course, it would be so nice if we could just go out and buy our happiness and put the burden of our emotional well-being on things rather than ourselves, right? That would be awesome. We wouldn't have to do any work, but that's not how it works. Like I said, it's also a liberating truth because when you know that this is fundamentally untrue, it shows us that happiness doesn't have to come from things and stuff and junk and clutter and acquiring more, more, more. Happiness and emotional well-being comes from within you, often from things that are completely free, but ultimately 100% within your control and up to you. It's all within your control, but you have to be willing to do the hard work to reach the point of emotional adulthood. I've talked about emotional adulthood many times. It's one of the most liberating headspaces to get to. It's also one of the most difficult headspaces to get to because it goes against everything you've been told your entire life. But emotional adulthood is the emotional maturity of realizing that circumstances, products, experiences, things don't cause feelings and cannot fill emotional voids. Only you can do that. It's a hard and it's a liberating truth all at the same time, but I beg you, Please stop believing that your happiness is just a purchase or an acquisition away. It is not. All right. The next lie that consumer culture tries to get us all to believe is that more is better and less is less. (laughs) A foundational principle of consumer culture is the continual acquisition of things. It's the message to keep acquiring, keep buying more, keep spending more, get to the point where you are busting at the seams. Like, you don't need five pairs of sneakers. You need 300 pairs of sneakers. I actually don't even think you need five, but you know. But this is what consumer culture tells us. You've seen these people that, like, they call them sneakerheads, like the people who collect sneakers and they have 500 pairs of sneakers, right? It's like you need them in every single color, every brand, every combination for every situation. When we think about it, you guys, it really doesn't make any sense. Consumer culture tries to tell us. That having 300 pairs of shoes and getting to wear each pair, maybe once or maybe even never, not at all, is better than having five pairs of shoes that you wear consistently all the time. You get a lot of use out of them. It makes no sense when you really slow down and you think about it. But this is what I'm talking about. We see these people all the time the sneakerheads, the women who have 500 different pairs of shoes, or how they have closets busting at the scenes, how they're getting rid of clothes with the tags still on them that they've literally never even worn. That is consumer culture. There has been a lot of research, interesting research done on this topic as well of, is more really better? And again, the research continually shows that when it comes to our happiness and levels of satisfaction, more is not better. I'm reading a book right now called The Paradox of Choice. The author is Barry Schwartz. And the general premise of the book is that 
overabundance overstimulates us. It's really interesting. And he says that we are so flooded with options and choices and stuff that at a certain point, it actually becomes burdensome to us. And he makes the argument that overabundance actually worsens our life. It doesn't make our life better. And he gives an example that I was like, oh my gosh, that's so true. He talks about Trader Joe's. He said, think about it this way. The reason that Trader Joe's is so successful and why everyone loves Trader Joe's, me included, is because they don't give their consumers a lot of choice. When you walk into a Trader Joe's and you need to get salsa, there is one type of red salsa. There's one type of green salsa. And there's one type of tortilla chips, of corn tortilla chips. Now, when I go into a Kroger, I have to pick between 20 different brands of salsa. And I have to choose between five different brands of just a plain tortilla chip. He said the reason that Trader Joe's is so successful is because they limit the amount of choices and they limit the amount of decisions that their consumers have to make. He's basically just saying that as human beings, we think that we want to have control and autonomy over our own lives. And yes, to an extent that is true. But his argument is, is that past a certain point, more is not better. More choices, more decisions that you have to make, more stuff, more clutter is not better. I want to remind you guys of the concept of the fulfillment curve. I'm not sure if you remember this concept. It's from episode 57 about sufficiency, but the fulfillment curve shows us that we do reach a peak with our spending and with our acquisition. And once we go past that peak, our levels of happiness and fulfillment start to go down the more that we spend and the more that we acquire. The fulfillment curve shows us visually that more is not better. It shows us that acquiring things to meet our needs, to fulfill some of our wants and desires is a good thing. It's a great thing. It aids and it boosts our levels of happiness. But then we reach the peak of our fulfillment curve. We reach that point of having enough and being sufficient. And then once we go past that, the law of diminishing returns kicks in and we enter the land of junk, clutter, and excess. And this is the area where what we consume actually ends up consuming us. I want you to hear that you can never get enough of the things that you don't really need or desire. I'm going to say that again. You can never get enough of the things that you don't really need and don't truly desire. But that is what consumer culture is trying to get us to do. They are trying to get us to consume past the point of what we really need and what we really desire, past that point of enough insufficiency. Constant acquisition demands so much of our energy that really, when you think about it, it leads very little time and energy to focus on doing the things that we actually want to do that actually do add to our life satisfaction. And we end up having relationship with the things in our lives rather than having and cultivating relationships with ourselves or with the people that we love that are most important to us. So I encourage you to go back, listen to episode 57, All About Sufficiency. We spend an entire episode talking about the concept of enough and sufficiency. We dive into the fulfillment curve in a lot more detail. This concept as well is also going to be an entire module within overcoming overspending. So you can dive into this work of enough insufficiency deeper. 
You can get coaching on it from me. But this is the second lie of consumer culture I don't want you buying into, which is more is more, bigger is better. The more you have, the happier you will be. It's just not true. Like we've said, excess, clutter, overabundance, it's not a blessing. It's a burden. It doesn't make you happier. It actually has the opposite effect. And I hope that you will remember that moving forward when you hear messages that are trying to tell you otherwise. The third and final lie of consumer culture that we're going to talk about today is that there is a connection, this positive correlation between your net worth and your self-worth. Consumer culture convinces us that our material goods become the yardstick by which we should measure ourselves and also measure other people. Consumer culture wants you to believe that what you have matters more than who you are. Now, why do they want you to believe this? Well, because when you attach your morality, your worthiness, your esteem to your possessions, then you will spend more money, you will acquire more things to boost the love, the worthiness, the esteem that you feel for yourself. We see a lot of advertising and a lot of messaging surrounding products and how they can aid and add to your worthiness. They don't directly like come out and say it, but the underlying message that's being pushed to you is you need this to be cool, you need this to be popular, you need this to be worthy, you need this to be desired. I really want you to think about how ingrained this last one is, how far back it goes for you. I spent some time thinking about this for me and probably for a lot of you. This one goes back to a very young age of making this association between what we own and how worthy we are. I remember being in like elementary school, upper elementary school, fourth or fifth grade, middle school, and wanting the shoes, the belts, the hair accessories that all the popular girls had. I remember middle school. It was limited to was like the place to shop, at least when I was in middle school. I'm 32. I was born in 89. So when I was in middle school, limited to was like the place to shop. And I remember telling my mom, like, mom, all the popular girls have this type of shirt or this type of short or these shoes or those like butterfly hair clip things that I remember were so popular and so hot or whatever it was. And I really believed at a very young age that if I could just get those things, I would be popular and worthy and the boys would like me and I would be invited to, you know, kind of hang out with the popular group of girls. Now, it's a hard thing to do to convince a 12-year-old, an 11-year-old that this isn't true, right? That your worthiness has nothing to do with the things that you own. I know if someone had told me that when I was in middle school, I would have been like, yeah, whatever. But we're not in middle school anymore. We're all grown up and adults. And now as grown women, I need you to hear, and I think in your heart of hearts, you know this to be true, but you can't, none of us can buy self-esteem. You cannot purchase your worthiness. First off, your worthiness doesn't have a price. It doesn't come at a cost either. Each one of us human beings on this planet are already 100% worthy regardless of how much money we have, regardless of where we live, what we drive, regardless of what we wear or what we own. The truth is that our worthiness and our self-esteem is a function of our own internal stock, of our values, 
of our self-concept, of the contribution that we make within our families, in our communities, and society. Self-esteem is not based on external inventory. It's not based on our clothes or houses or cars. Your worthiness and esteem are about who you are, not about what you own. Your worthiness, your esteem cannot be bought because they are not for sale. There's not a price on them. They are already guaranteed. And I hope that we can all recognize that there is no need to try to go out and to try to buy it up because you already have it. It already belongs to you. It's all already within you. So that is what I have for you this week. How consumer culture is lying to you, ultimately how it's harming you, these lies, these untruths that are influencing all of us, myself included, to operate and to spend our money under a false set of assumptions. We all think that we can buy material goods to fill emotional voids and that the goal should be to acquire as much of it as we possibly can because we believe that more is better. And then once we have all this stuff, we have all this junk and clutter and excess, we tie the quantity and the value of those possessions to our internal work. And what we own becomes more important to us than figuring out and enhancing who we truly are. I want to make this point one more time before wrapping up. It's okay to want stuff. It's okay to desire things. It's okay to buy things and to spend money. Of course it is. I'm a spending coach. I want you out there spending money. Like I said, it's part of having a balanced and healthy relationship with your money. I believe that how we spend money is the way that we express who we are as individuals with one of our most precious resources, money. But my plea to you is this. Don't buy into the lie that the stuff is going to fix your life. Don't buy it thinking that the stuff is going to make you happy. Don't acquire it thinking that the thing is going to make you worthy, that the stuff is going to win you, the admiration, the love, the respect of other people, because I'm telling you right now, it won't. It's all a lie. You going out and acquiring more things and adding to the list of things that you own is just going out and changing the circumstances of your life. And circumstances don't determine our long-term emotional state. An abundance of things, an abundance of circumstances doesn't guarantee your well-being. We have millions upon millions of different pieces of evidence that we can look at. There's a lot of people that have a lot of money, that have a lot of stuff, that are completely unhappy, totally miserable. And if it was actually true that things bought happiness, there would never be such a thing as an unhappy rich person that has a lot of things. Circumstances don't guarantee your well-being. You are in charge of that, unfortunately. I know. It's not fun to hear, but you're in charge of that. You're in charge of it for you. I'm in charge of it for me. And I always say that it's not your money's job to entertain you, right? Well, it's also not the job or the responsibility of your things and your possessions to make you happy. It's your responsibility to do that. You're in charge of that. Sure, y'all, the stuff is great. And don't get me wrong, it can be fun. I'm not saying that it's not. I will be the first to admit that I love getting a new top or I love getting a new gadget. But when I think about all of the things that I truly love about my life and the things that really make me happy, none of the stuff or my possessions are a part of that list. In fact, when I think about all of the things that are the most important to me and that make me the happiest, many of them 
were or are completely free. My faith, my family, my friendships, my dedication to personal growth and personal development, going on walks every morning with my husband, getting to spend time with my nephews, getting to read a really good book that challenges me and stretches my thinking, getting to coach and serve all of the amazing women in this community. That is what brings me true and lasting happiness and fulfillment. It's not any of the stuff in the world that consumer culture is trying to tell me is going to make me happy. The stuff is just stuff. It comes and it goes. But those other things that I listed, those are what last and what really matters. You have those things in your life as well. I know you do. And the more that you focus on acquiring material goods, the more that you attach material goods to your happiness, the less satisfied you're actually going to be. But the more that we can focus on and prioritize the things that really matter, like I said, your internal stock, your contribution, the happier ultimately you will be. And that is what consumer culture doesn't want you to know. Because when you know that, you can go out and spend your money in a way that is planned, that is purposeful, that is controlled, but you're not spending it in an impossible attempt to make you happy. It never will. So I hope that you've enjoyed the episode this week. Again, make sure that you join the waitlist for overcoming overspending. This type of work is exactly the type of work that we're going to be doing inside the course and the community together. Also, make sure that you leave your review on iTunes. Again, put your review under your Instagram handle. Make sure that you write something so that you pop up in the review so I can see you and enter you. And I will be picking another winner for the month of February, the last episode that drops in February. You guys have a wonderful week. I love you all so much. I'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Hey, girl. If you enjoyed this episode, I want to invite you to join me in overcoming overspending. It's my signature program where I take you through my three-phase approach to stop impulse shopping and overspending so that you can finally start making substantial progress with your finances. Through the self-paced online program, the student community group, and live weekly coaching with me, you will receive all the encouragement you need to finally achieve lasting change with your money habits that have been sabotaging you for so long. You'll have money back in your pocket. You will leave behind the stress and the worry that you currently experience with money, and your spending will be controlled, purposeful, and actually feel good and be fun. The best part is it's 100% risk-free. You have a lifetime to implement my proven process. And after doing that, if you don't make your investment back, I will give you a full refund. Your results are guaranteed or the program is on me. Just head over to overcomingoverspending.com to get started. I can't wait to have you as a student within the program.